0: The following sermon is by Josh Tancordo, the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Redeeming Grace is a gospel-centered church that values rich biblical teaching and authentic Christian community.
1: Learn more by visiting our website at redeeminggracepittsburgh.com. We've been working our way passage by passage through the book of Acts, and today the next passage we come to is Acts 17, 1-15. have come here also and Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king Jesus and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest they let them go the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea and when they had arrived they went into the Jewish Jewish synagogue Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds." Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. May God bless the reading of his word.
0: Amen. Thank you, Shane. Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, as we sung, we are dependent on you. We have the scriptures in front of us, but nevertheless, we need you, Holy Spirit, to speak these scriptures to our hearts, Lord. We need you to open our eyes, to work within us, to shape and fashion us and accomplish your perfect purposes, Lord, within each person. Lord, so I pray that you would do that, that you would get glory for yourself, that you would help not one person, not a single one of us to leave here without seeing what you want us to see and being changed as you'd have us be changed, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Um, One of the greatest burdens that I have and that I hope you have if you're a Christian is a burden for the souls of those who don't yet know Jesus. And of course, the closer someone is to us, the more of a burden we naturally have for them. Uh, For example, I'm sure there are many parents in this room who have a longing that's beyond what words Can express that their children would come to know Jesus. I know for me personally, one of the most humbling realities that I'm frequently reminded of is the limit of what I, as a parent, am able to do for my kids. You know, I wish I could make the decision to embrace the gospel for them. (laughs) That would certainly make things a lot easier. But of course, that's not possible. Now, it's true that there are plenty of things that Becky and I can do, and that we try to do faithfully, like living in a Christ-like manner at home, and teaching our kids systematically through a catechism, and frequently reading from the Jesus storybook Bible, you know, things like that. And those are certainly good things, things, habits I'd encourage every parent to develop. Yet, even as we do all of the right things, we are still Utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to show our kids their need for the gospel and lead them ultimately to to saving faith in Jesus. And uh, we long so deeply for him to do that. And this longing, of course, isn't just uh, something that parents feel for their children, but something that many people feel for those they love, spouses. Siblings, close friends, even neighbors and coworkers. The thought that so many people all around us are headed down a path toward a Christless eternity is difficult to even process. And understandably leaves us feeling burdened for their souls. And that's a good thing. I mean, we should be burdened. And yet it's also important for us to remember that God doesn't expect us to do what only he can do in people's hearts. He's the only one who can bring someone to saving faith. And so God doesn't expect us to do that. He simply, simply expects us to be faithful in our part of that process. And that's precisely what we see with the Apostle Paul here in the main passage of Scripture we'll be looking at today, Acts 17, verses 1 through 15. That concept of faithfulness. Paul was faithful to God's call and God's word. That's the main idea of this passage, that Paul was faithful to God's call and God's word. So let's look at each of those two aspects of faithfulness. First, let's look at how Paul was faithful to God's call. In Acts 9, God reveals himself to Paul on the road to Damascus and humbles him and calls him to spend the rest of his life spreading the gospel throughout the Roman world. And that's exactly what we find Paul doing in the first three verses, verses one through three of our main passage. Look what it says. the ways in which Paul engages with the Jews in this synagogue. Verse 2 tells us first that he reasoned with them from the scriptures. That Greek word translated as reasoned is dialegomai, from which we get our English word dialogue, right? Dialegomai, And in, indeed, that is what the word means. It refers not to some sort of sermon or dialogue, but, or not to some sort of sermon or monologue, but rather to a discussion about something, and uh, an exchange of ideas and opinions. Uh, We also find the same verb used in numerous other chapters in Acts to describe what Paul did in the various other synagogues that he visited in the other cities. It seems to have been his typical approach, And, and I think we do well to let that approach guide our encounters with people as well. You know, just imagine, Two people engaging in a genuine give-and-take dialogue (laughs) seems to be something of a rarity in our society today of uh, shouting matches carried out over social media. I mean, just take a look at Twitter, right? Seems like we like to talk at each other rather than having true conversations and dialogues with each other. Everyone seems to be a lot more interested in what they have to say than they are in what others might have to say. And yet, if we actually want to reach the people we're called to reach, then we have to relearn that lost art of dialogue. And that means listening to people, right? Listening to people's ideas, listening to their concerns, listening to their experiences and hurts, And needs. I mean, why would we expect someone to to listen to us if we haven't first listened to them? You know, when we spend time deliberately listening to people and asking good questions to draw them out and then listening some more, not only does that help us get to know them more so that we're better able to share the gospel in a way they can connect with but it also will very likely make them more opening to listen to us and our ideas and experiences and beliefs. So dialogue is definitely the way to go when it comes to sharing the gospel in any kind of informal setting. In addition, moving on to verse 3, we see that Paul also spent time explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. That word translated explaining literally means opening. Paul opened the scriptures to them. Explaining things in a clear, simple, straightforward manner. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. You know, a lot of people can take something that's complex and explain it in a complicated way. But it takes a lot more thoughtfulness and understanding to take something complex and explain it in a simple way. And yet, if we love people and want to serve them well, that's what we'll do. And that involves not only working to develop a clearer understanding of biblical ideas ourselves, but also trying to avoid using churchy terms that people probably don't understand without at least explaining what those terms mean. In terms like salvation, and justification, and atonement. And even, with biblical literacy becoming less and less these days, even things like sin, and righteousness, and repentance, and faith. These are all terms that require explanation more and more. So the goal here is to communicate with people as clearly, as we possibly can. Also, not only was Paul explaining Scripture to the Thessalonian Jews, but he was also proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So, Paul was proving his claims about Jesus by giving evidence to support them from the Old Testament. I mean, I'm sure he was quoting passages like uh, Psalm 16 and Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Now, keep in mind that this was a Jewish audience, that already considered the Old Testament to be authoritative. So these citations would have carried a lot of weight with them. By contrast, when Paul's speaking to Gentiles in the book of Acts, it's very interesting because he changes his approach. The things he says are still thoroughly biblical, of course, but he shares those biblical truths in a way that people can connect with. Uh, At times, as we're going to see next week in the second half of this chapter, he'll even quote pagan poets to them. And so the principle for us to glean from this is to share biblical truths in a way that people will find persuasive. Often, as we see with Paul here, by actually opening the Bible with people and letting them see that we're not just making this stuff up, but rather that the things we're saying are clearly taught. In scripture. And by the way, that's one reason why I love uh, what we here at Redeeming Grace often call evangelistic Bible studies. Uh, basically, evangelistic Bible studies are small informal gatherings in which several, uh, or could just be one-on-one or multiple Christians and non-Christians, but some combination of Christians and non-Christians get together in order to study the Bible with the goal of specifically learning more about Jesus. And I would love to see every Christian in our church engaging non-Christians in this way, as often as God opens the door to do that. You know, it could be as simple as you inviting your coworker out to, um, you know, study and read through the gospel of John um, once each week for, I don't know, six weeks or, or something like that at a local coffee shop, or maybe it's a neighbor or a friend, and you want to invite them over to your house. So just whatever seems to make the most sense. And, and I'll just say if that's something you are interested in doing or want to learn more about, that we have developed some very significant resources to help you with that and, and some guidance and and coaching and and ideas for that. So Please don't hesitate to uh, see me after the service and and just ask if that's something you'd be interested in doing. Uh, I truly think evangelistic Bible studies are a fabulous context for us to do the things we see Paul doing here in Acts 17. Dialoguing with people and making things clear for them and opening the Bible with them. And also, as we think about the way in which Paul was faithful to God's call— One thing that sticks out to me from this passage is the courage it must have taken for Paul to do that. I mean, just walking into that synagogue in Thessalonica must have taken a lot of courage. Because remember what's been happening in many of the synagogues Paul's visited so far. I mean, Paul's been entering synagogues to share the gospel ever since Acts 13. And a lot of the time, things don't go very well. Even though Paul's synagogue visits will often result in many Jews embracing the gospel, they seem to result in many more Jews not embracing the gospel and actually becoming quite angry with Paul for his missionary activities, even to the point that they often try to kill him and almost succeed in that on several occasions. And so that's what Paul's experience, and that's why I say it must have taken a lot of courage for Paul to enter this synagogue in Thessalonica. I wouldn't be surprised if he was, you know, thinking to himself as he walked in there, all right, God, here we go again, all right? You've called me to do this, so I'm doing it. Let's see what happens this time, and sure enough, things get interesting. Look at verses 4 through 9, and some of them were persuaded These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So this is pretty much par for the course for Paul's missionary efforts. Paul shares the gospel. Some of his listeners eagerly receive it, others defiantly reject it, and those who reject it form a mob and try to kill Paul. This time, the threat to Paul's life is so severe that he has to make his escape from the city at night. Now, the first part of verse 10 states that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, of a distance of uh, somewhere around 40 or 50 miles away. And even there, as the subsequent verses record, the Jews from Thessalonica still hear about his ministry and follow him there and try to kill him again. Now, thankfully, as we think about our own situation here in America, it's not currently very likely that the people with whom we seek to share the gospel will become so enraged that they'll seek to kill us. However, It's still true that any time we seek to share the gospel with someone, we're taking something of a risk. Thankfully, at this point, it's simply a social risk, but it's still a risk. Because no matter how thoughtful and diplomatic we try to be, there's always the chance that we'll offend someone, or at least change the dynamic of the relationship a bit so that it's maybe slightly awkward and uncomfortable. Now, in all fairness, I do believe that our fears of that are often out of proportion to the actual risk involved. In my experience, people often respond a lot better than we think they might. But nevertheless, it's true that whenever you share the gospel with someone, you are taking something of a risk. And that risk seems to hinder a lot of Christians, including even myself at times, from sharing the gospel. And so from what I can tell, the need of the day really is a need for boldness and courage, just as we see Paul exhibiting here in this passage. I'm also reminded of Acts chapter 4, where the early Christians began to face significant persecution from the Jewish religious leaders. Not surprisingly, the first response to this outbreak of persecution was to gather together for a prayer meeting. And I find the focus of their prayers to be very interesting. I'm sure they prayed for a number of different things that aren't mentioned in the text, but nevertheless, only one thing is mentioned. Boldness. They pray in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So again, their focus, or at least from what we can glean from this text, their focus wasn't on God's guidance or wisdom or even on his protection or his favor, but rather on boldness. That's what they believed was most needed. And I'm convinced that the same is true for us. Again, that the need of the day is a need for boldness. And there are several things that contribute to us having that boldness. One of them, (laughs) just to, to state it bluntly, is simply becoming less focused on ourselves. You know, it's comparable in some ways to public speaking. Uh, There have been times where uh, I've asked people if they'd be interested in doing the scripture reading for the worship service, and uh, they say that they are interested in doing that, but also express a, a little nervousness at getting up in front of everyone. And so I usually tell them what I believe is the key to overcoming that nervousness, and that is to intentionally shift your focus off of yourself, and what people will think of you, and instead start thinking of loving and serving others. So if you'll start being truly focused on other people and and on loving and serving them, you probably won't be so nervous anymore. And in a similar way, I believe one reason why we're so often uh, fearful of sharing the gospel with people is that we're just way too focused on ourselves. It's sort of a paradox when you think about it, because the more you grow in your love for other people, the less worried you'll be about their opinions of you. Again, the more you grow in your love for other people, the less worried you'll be about their opinions of you. However, in addition to that, I believe there's something else that we need to overcome In order to, um, something else we need in order to overcome the fear that often keeps us from sharing the gospel. Something even more critical than what we've talked about so far. Looking at Acts 4 again, we read a few verses later in verse 31 about what happened in the aftermath of the early church's prayer meeting. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So can you identify the critical element there that led to them being so bold? It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That, more than anything else, is what we need if we're going to share the gospel with boldness. We need more of the Holy Spirit, more of his power, more of his influence in our lives. Friends, he is absolutely indispensable and irreplaceable if we want to faithfully share the gospel with the boldness that's needed. Also, returning to our main passage in Acts 17 and moving forward, we see not only that Paul was faithful to God's call, but also that he was faithful to God's word. Look at verses 10 through 12. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So the Jews of Berea were quite a bit different than those of Thessalonica. Verse 11 says that they were more noble because, as it states, they received the word with all eagerness. Yet they didn't receive what Paul taught uncritically, but rather examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. (laughs) That means they rolled up their sleeves and actually studied the Bible for themselves to make sure that Paul's teaching really was an accurate representation of biblical teaching. In a word, they were discerning. And that's a virtue that's just as critical, perhaps even more critical today as it was in the first century. Listen, the internet is a wonderful blessing in many ways. Yet, unfortunately, it's also something of a, I don't know, a swirling vortex of theological error. Now, obviously, there's plenty of solid biblical teaching online and Yet there's also plenty of error, and even heresy. So as your pastor, I can't encourage you enough to imitate the Bereans here, and to be discerned. Don't be swept away by someone's charisma, about how smooth, about how smooth of a talker they are, or the funny stories that they share. And we need to focus not on how, something said, but rather on what's actually being said, and on how what's being said compares to Scripture. Now, looking at these verses from a, another angle here, we not only want to imitate the Bereans in their discernment, but also imitate Paul in his faithful proclamation of the Bible's message. You know, the simple fact is that even though the gospel is as a whole, certainly a message of good news and a message that we should be able to share with joy in our hearts and excitement. Yet at the same time, there are nevertheless some elements of the gospel that many people find offensive. First of all, there's the idea that we're sinful, which has never been a very popular idea. Uh, nor has it been very popular to say that our sins deserve God's judgment. And even when we get to the very heart of the gospel, Jesus himself, there are still some elements that some people might find offensive. Of course, most people are okay with talking about Jesus as a moral example. We're on pretty safe ground with that. But when we start talking about Jesus dying on the cross things might get a little shaky, because the obvious question is, why did Jesus die on the cross, and and why is that so important? Um, The answer is one that some people might have mixed feelings about. Jesus died on the cross as our substitute, taking on himself the, the wrath of God the Father in our place. Now, there's also plenty to be said about God's love and the immensity of God's love in sending his own son to purchase our rescue. That's probably the most notable feature of the gospel message and one that should undoubtedly elicit our most profound joy and awe and wonder. And yet... The love of God only makes sense, friends, against the backdrop of his holiness and his justice toward those who have sinned against him. And that can be offensive. Also, let's not leave out the fact that Jesus is the only way for us to be rescued from our sins and that in order to rescue us, he requires that we repent of those sins. So as you can see, there are several truths that are essential for the gospel that many people may not be very excited to hear. Yet we have to understand that it's not ultimately our job to get people to embrace these things. Of course, we want to try to be as winsome and persuasive as we can possibly be. But at the end of the day, it's God who has to do the decisive work in someone's heart and make them receptive. In 1 Corinthians 3.6, Paul states, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You know, when it comes to planting things, there are certain steps we can take to facilitate the growth of that plant. We can make sure we plant the the, the plant in nutrient-rich soil and plant it in a place where it's going to get plenty of sunlight and also make sure it gets the water that it needs and so on. But one thing we can't do is make the plant grow. Only God can do that. We often think of it as the laws of nature, but ultimately it's God. Likewise, God's the one who gives the growth spiritually as well. Some Christians might plant, others might water, but only God can give the growth. So again, we come back to this idea of faithfulness. Our job isn't to do what only God can do but rather simply to be faithful in our part. I've heard it compared before to the mailman, right? The mailman has one job, deliver the mail, right? He doesn't have to stay up at night worrying about whether people will open the mail or what they'll think of it when he opens, when we open it. As long as he puts that mail in the mailbox, he's been faithful. You know, a couple weeks ago at the community by lead, uh, one of the the ladies of the asked a great question. She described how she had recently shared the gospel with some people in her life and was concerned that uh, perhaps some of the things she said might have made a few of them kind of upset. And so she asked, did I do something wrong? That's a great question and has a happens to have a very simple answer. And the answer is, unless you were just a complete jerk in the way you shared the gospel, well, the answer is no. (laughs) You didn't do anything wrong any more than Paul did something wrong in Thessalonica or in most of the other cities he visited, for that matter. Acts 17 clearly leads us to expect some people to reject the gospel, as most of the Jews in Thessalonica did, And others to receive the gospel, as many of the Jews in Berea did. In fact, I'd even say that if nobody's ever even a little upset at what you share with them, you are probably not living a lifestyle of sharing the gospel very faithfully. Now, if everyone's upset, Probably not good either. Right? You might need to do some self-evaluation and you know make sure you're, you're being as sensitive and, and thoughtful as possible in, in, in your approach. But some people will be upset, and that's okay. because our job is simply to be faithful in delivering the mail. And when we lay our head on our pillow at night, having faithfully Shared the gospel with those God has sovereignly put in our path, we can take comfort in the fact that not only have we been faithful to do our part, but also that the gospel we've shared has real power to penetrate even the hardest of hearts and bring even the most skeptical people to faith in Jesus. As Paul says in Romans 1.16, so famously, the gospel is indeed the power of God for salvation. So as you think about the people in your life who have yet to embrace the gospel and, and perhaps even refused to embrace the gospel for years and years despite your best efforts, here's my encouragement for you. In light of everything we've talked about this morning, never stop praying. As we've already discussed, if this person is ever going to be saved, it's going to take a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. So never stop praying for the Holy Spirit to do that miraculous work. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 18, in the parable of the persistent widow, How this widow kept on going to the crooked judge day after day, saying, give me justice against my adversary. And finally, simply because the judge was so tired of her nagging him all the time, he gave her the justice she sought. So Jesus says, how much more will our righteous and loving God give his own children? what we seek, if we're faithful in going to him day after day. We have no reason to think he won't and every reason to believe he will. You know, I love the story of D.L. Moody, who was a uh, famous evangelist in the late 1800s. In the front cover of his Bible, D.L. Moody wrote a list of a 100 people that he would like to see saved. And then he prayed for them, regularly, day after day. By the time he died, 96 of those 100 people had come to faith in Jesus. It's pretty incredible, right? And yet, that's not all. The story doesn't end there. (laughs) Guess what happened after that? At his funeral, The other four came to know Christ so that now all 100 people had come to know the Lord. Never stop praying and believing that God will hear
1: your prayers as well.